Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hey, Paul, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Just um, the calm after the storm of Ignite, I guess. As I mentioned in previous shows, it's good that I wasn't fully like deep on a lot of this stuff and kind of could consume it and help out on the day um, without all the pre-planning stuff. There was a lot of people that had to produce on-demand videos and um, it was good to see all the content come out and all the new announcements. It was exciting. I am completely underwater when it comes to Ignite. <laughs> <laughs> Project deadlines and I didn't even read the whole book of news yet, so it's on my list to get to. But uh, yeah, I did find a couple of highlights. That's great. But yeah. What was your like biggest thing that you saw? The biggest thing I saw is probably going to be the PowerShell SDK and or the Teams meeting Canvas. I would imagine clients are going to want the meeting Canvas more, but those are the two big things that I've seen so far. How about yourself? With the meeting extensions, um, I really like the idea of being able to have like pre, during and post meeting things show up in that window when you've got the meeting like double clicked on in the calendar i was even talking yesterday about this with an education partner that wants to make sure that their students aren't asleep and by having a a meeting extension in the app where like the student would have to interact you know to keep saying i'm awake i'm awake you know (laughs) and so there's a bunch of stuff that can be done and there was a really cool hackathon a while back about showing the inclusiveness of the meeting by who was speaking throughout it. So, you know, if someone's on there who's like really dominant and there's 10 people in there that haven't literally said anything the whole meeting or put anything in the chat message, it will actually start to visually show that this meeting is too one-sided. So I think there's some really cool things that will come out of being able to have that extensibility um, experience directly in the meeting you're running. So that, that one definitely was top of mind for me for sure. Yeah, see, my initial reaction was, well, it's the meeting workplace that we saw in SharePoint 2007, (laughs) back to life. (laughs) Right. It's probably the same PM. (laughs) But this may actually be more helpful, right? But lots of opportunity there, yeah. So, uh, yeah. And obviously, you know, Daryl and um, Peter and George, the two engineers on this, will be super pumped to hear that you're excited about PowerShell. Ignite in person last year when Daryl presented the preview, like, I I was trying to get a photo and I couldn't step back far enough in the expo hall to get the entire crowd around this theater booth. Like there was probably 250 people around there and Jeffrey Snow's session was packed too. So we knew we were onto something there. And um, the way that it's been architected means that, you know, for every API endpoint, there's a PowerShell commandlet, but it's extensible so that if you want to build a scenario commandlet that kind of bundles a bunch, you can do that too. And so we're really looking forward to seeing what the community does with this moving forward around PowerShell. So I, lo- I love how Daryl's, Daryl's led this as a PM. It's been awesome to see. Or as an architect, as his new title is. Yeah, there you go. New title. Very Um, fancy. So I I don't care about it so much because I'm running PowerShell as much as it's a little bit of a sign of maturity in the SDK team, if you will, because there are some warts around the .NET one that I've coded and I look forward to some of that discipline being applied to that. So. That's why I'm glad the team is moving along. Yeah, Daryl's been talking a lot to the Azure folk in DevDiv that have been building out all the Azure PowerShell SDKs and CLIs. And so there's a lot of commonality that we're doing between the two. And so that's why 
you know, like the Azure.identity library is going to be used across all our SDKs in the future and not our own authentication auth library that Daryl built. So I really like the direction Daryl's going, you know, cross company to make sure that we're all consistent. The other thing that came under the radar is there's actually a CLI. If you go into the Microsoft Graph org, um, we've shipped a Python built CLI that's um, going to be using the same approach to generating for all uh, APIs across Microsoft Graph automatically. And so um, if you're interested in the CLI and you're not a PowerShell person, you know, because you're on a Mac or a Linux or what have you, and you don't want to install PowerShell, then the CLI will be another way of doing this as well. So um, yeah, they're making great ground now that we've grown that engineering team out that Devere who's our EM, is running. So it's exciting to see all that come. And we have a brand new PM starting next week to drive all this stuff to free up Daryl to do some other really, really cool stuff that's coming that we will be announcing at Build. So yeah, it's exciting times in our group. It's fun. Um, And I would say my big, 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 big thing, which has been a long time coming, and I think we talked about this like Build two years ago, which used to be called internally, and some people may have heard it publicly, called Contextual Consent. Um, it's been an announced as resource-specific consent in preview, um, RSC. The main reason we've done this one is um, there is a big, what we call internally, a brick wall around calling graph APIs for Teams. Um, you need group readwrite.org and admin consent to call anything on Teams. With RSC, um, it allows you to deploy an app into Teams and in the manifest define graph permissions and wherever that app is deployed to, like a particular team, um, those permissions will be consented to without the need for admin consent. So the team admin can consent this team app as the ability to change settings of the team or um, edit the group of the team itself, um, create channels for the team or delete channels, um, or even like read the channel messages in that particular team, but it does it only for the team where the app is deployed to. And so it it gives a much granular level or least privileged level of permissions. So we hear it a lot from partners that customers are not that jazzed about giving a partner group read write all, um, especially if it means going and asking the IT admin of M365 to go do that. And so you're going to see a lot more of this resource specific consent start to appear across the graph um, next calendar year. They were in discussion at the moment with SharePoint for the same reasons, because SharePoint has a similar concept of um, sites dot read, write all and admin consent required. So Teams was the first one out of the gate for it and others will follow. So that for me is the biggest one that I have to kind of roll my eyes every time I'm getting a partner meeting and hear that one. Glad to see that movement. Yeah, I know that Exchange has the mailbox level thing that you can set with some NAS That's or right. whistle or some commander somewhere. So uh, yeah, it'd be great yeah. to get that normalized. And uh, we certainly run into that ourselves. Yeah, like this is a different approach to the Excel one where it, so the Exchange one where it's app access policies where you run PowerShell command, it's to either allow or deny mailboxes access to a particular app ID. You know, this is because this one has more of a user experience around it. But um, yeah, there is people that are working on like making sure that no one creates yet another way of doing this and RSC will be the way forward when it comes to a user experience deployment of an app package. Yeah, yeah. No, that wasn't a criticism. It's just that you got to throw a couple things out and see what works and how, yeah. how things well. Well, and also it. a lot of people don't know about the exchange one, and you know, and so when you explain something, like, wow, this is great because this will mean that our customers are more likely to let us do what we need to go do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so because yeah, no look, one really wants to give someone the, the CEO mailbox just to be able to do something for a little app, right? Yeah, yeah. But totally looking forward to all the other workloads jumping on that bandwagon planner and SharePoint and. 
and so on. So can't wait for all that. Um, and then there were some other bits and pieces uh, that you'd mentioned about the roadmap slide recap that Susan Hanley had put together. Was yeah, so I was following this on Twitter. So shortly after or at the end of Ignite, Susan tweeted she had put together copies of some of this roadmap slides that were presented during Ignite. So obviously it's you know public information, and she put out a call if anyone else sees something, let her know. And then a couple more came in there, and then our buddy Dan Holm got involved. So thank you, Dan, and actually sent um, some high quality pictures of the slides so that they can be read. So this is really just a, a, a PowerPoint up, uh, publicly available that Susan collaborated that goes through each of the workloads for Teams and SharePoint and the new stream and Yammer and all kinds of stuff. And it's just their roadmap slides to give you a, you know, the, the high level picture of when things may or may not be rolling out. And so it's uh, it's 18 different slides. Well, uh, throw out her picture title slide. So 17 different things. So there's a lot of information in there. And great. It's one of those you're going to want to look back to it as customers ask, hey, when am I? When can I see X or Y? So thanks, Susan. And when we get it. And if we keep the dates or not. <laughs> well, yeah, they all. <laughs> Just that you know, they all say H one or H two, and you know every slide has an asterisk. You know, date very loosey goosey. Six, six months plus or minus three months. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, it's it's less about the actual date than it is about like what's soon, what's not so soon, right? I, that most of them have a very soon, like you know this this calendar year, and some have next calendar year, and then future things, right? So you get an idea. And if you don't like the order, it gives now's the time to reach out to your favorite PM and say, hey, it'd be nice if you changed your priorities. But so it's great to have that. So, yeah, no, I think it's great that we're being more kind of open with what's coming. I think part of that's just because of the change of the fact that we're in this like release when it's ready thing and not three years of build up, keeping it secret and then boom. You know, it's got to the point where we need to trickle things out as we're doing it and in progress. And, you know, RSC is a great example of one where, you know, we announced that two builds ago. Um, as it was coming in preview. And then in Ignite, we said it will be released a month after Ignite. This was last year. And now it's finally out a year later. So, you know, it's a really complicated thing. Like there's a lot of different engineering groups across Microsoft that have had to work together to get that going. Um, and, you know, Philip Signore and Nick Kramer and so forth, um, the, the principal engineers working on teams and identity have done a really good job of kind of getting that out there right you know getting all that feedback on private previews um, before we've even launched in a public one so um you interviewed marcus what did you guys talk about and uh, what can they look forward to at the rest of the show yeah so we've talked about marcus's blog a few times over the last couple of months and so i tracked him down and and while i did not want to rehash his blog post but the idea was let's talk about his journey from doing sharepoint development back in the day with full trust code and or csom code and moving that into spfx and also microsoft teams so it, it was thanks, uh, Marcus, for hopping on the call. It was great to get the, you know, get another person talking through about, hey, what was their journey like and and how uh, how things move along? Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, we've mentioned him so much on the show um, with the blog post and stuff. So it's great to get him on and hear him in person. So uh, enjoy the show. And next week, we'll have a much deeper dive on the, like all our thoughts around Ignite and, and so forth. Thanks, Paul. Have a good rest of the week. All right. See you. This week on the show, we have Marcus Moeller. Good morning, or hello, Marcus. <laughs> it's not quite morning for you, so tell us a little about yourself. Where I know there's a bright sunshine out your window, so we'll tell us a little about you and where you're from. Yeah, I'm uh, Marcus Moeller. I'm from Germany, uh, living in Munich, but born in Hamburg, so uh, seen both uh, both other sides of Germany, yes, north and south. <laughs> 
I work for Avanat in Germany and I'm a long-term SharePoint of a 365 consultant. That's in very short term about myself. And you came across our radar on your blog uh, the last couple, three months. There's been a lot of uh, articles about stuff that you're doing. So you said you're a long-time SharePoint developer. I guess this whole journey to modern SharePoint has been a learning experience for you as well, I assume. Is that fair? Yes, of course. Yeah. So um, I think uh, once I, I, I'm a so-called uh, boomerang, uh, so I rejoined Avanade in 2017. And once I rejoined, I uh, started at a customer and worked already in 2017 on uh, SharePoint framework and the modern experience only. So this was uh, those days, this was an interesting journey because our go live dates for every each and every feature was more or less determined by Microsoft. Because once they had a feature GA ready, we were able to bring this live. But our development journey already started earlier. Um, And this is what I spent uh, three years on. And uh, now uh, this engagement ended and then I switched to the team's development stuff, uh, which I was recently blogging about because I circumvented this a bit in the last three years because my customer was not that heavily engaged in uh, teams so far. But uh, now my last blog posts more or less all were covered by teams because this was something I had to catch up with uh, because I missed this a bit in the past years. Well, well, and what you missed was a lot of churn. So don't feel too bad, too bad about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what well, I'd love to hear your thoughts around um, you, you were doing SharePoint, I'm guessing SPFX and move into teams. Have you found that experience comparable as a developer? Is your skill set mostly transition or did you have to learn a lot of new stuff? Um, no, not that much. I think um, what I learned uh, new because I was I was personally not doing this in the past uh, was the backend stuff, uh, which I'm now using most of the time in, in not JS and not uh, .NET anymore. Yeah, so in the past I was uh, more or less even for with SharePoint Framework I was using um, .NET Azure functions in the backend. This uh, switched now. But the rest is not that big, I think, because uh, JavaScript or React uh, is uh, more or less now uh, basic stuff for me. And uh, this is what you can easily reuse in um, both sides of the story. So meaning teams development and uh, SPFX. Okay. And so what teams components, what types of things are you building using SPFX and teams? So what I was uh, last time I was trying, um, because this is brand new, was uh, that I was uh, using a task module with uh, SharePoint Framework. And of course, in the past also, I was already starting with uh, Teams tabs uh, in, in SPFX because it's the easiest way about uh, the authentication stuff. So it does not, yeah, for me, it does not really take place anymore if you uh, say, if you can say that, yeah, um, because it's a, a native experience in SPFX. And this is the one on the one hand, it's the big benefit. I think on the other hand, um, there are already some concerns about uh, this uh, reused um, app registration so that uh, in terms of security. Yeah. And so it, did you find that to be a big blocker or is it really just a, a planning and conversation and making sure people understand? Um, what do you mean with uh, blocker? Oh, so you, you well, you said it, you know you, it's a concern about the the shared service principle between SharePoint and your SPFX code, yeah. I think uh, when you come to customers uh, who are heavily concerned about security, this, of course, can be a showstopper. And I would like to be prepared for that, of course. So if there is someone who would say, hey, we want to have uh, one dedicated application that gets some specific rights, but we don't want to share that rights with potential other applications, 
then of course you have to put into consideration to develop it in a different way, which of course uh, takes more effort, would be a bit more expensive. Yeah, but uh, if it, uh, you cannot really erase those customer concerns, um, I would do it that way as well. Yeah. And so what is the alternate approach that I could do in that scenario? So, for instance, when you have uh, when you have normal uh, Teams native development, um, you have uh, several options uh, that you can do. On the one hand, uh, when you come to a bot uh, authentication uh, in terms of either a direct bot application or in a messaging extension, um, you can put your specific app registration to the bot uh, and let the bot authenticate you in the back end. Um, and on the other hand, uh, what you can also do in Teams, as long as you have a front-end uh, application, meaning either a tab or a, a task module, you can use uh, the new uh, SSO feature, which also has some downsides, of course. And so I'd like to dig in a little into that, because this SSO feature, as you mentioned, is new. What is the intent of the SSO service in, in a Teams front-end? Um, this SSO service uh, turns uh, your... Um, teams uh, login into an uh, identity token and you can use this identity token uh, in the backend or with the on behalf floor and uh, exchange this for an access token and then you can use this uh, also in uh, in the backend mode for the retrieving of uh, for instance graph or other uh, Azure Active Directory secure data access. Okay and so is, is do you know is that generally available? I know they've been talking about it for a while I haven't yet seen and noticed. Have you noticed on that if, if it's out in general? Um, no I think not. It's still uh, under preview and uh, I think think they are already thinking about uh, one of the downsides I mentioned one of the downsides is that you cannot really use this is in a normal Azure in the Azure service so you have to use an own domain for your Azure web service for this because uh, this is treated not as secure from Microsoft but they already mentioned that they are thinking about to revert this back and allow this so this can be a big showstopper because uh, of course you have to take more care for your deployment and uh, reserve an own domain and uh, in, in terms of consumption for Azure, that it's uh, more expensive. So it's not the easy stuff to deploy anymore. Yeah, this is really the same issue that SharePoint team dealt with when they were doing that shared service principle. So it, it were good steps there. Now, there's another article in your, your blogs talking about um, the, the MCELJS 2.0 in SPFX. Were you using that as part of this SSO service or is that a separate initiative? No, this is a separate edition. This uh, this uh, special um, blog post was also coming from a scenario um, where uh, uh, we had some concerns not only about the um, specific security, but also about some browser issues. Um, that, for instance, Safari is uh, blocking um, by default settings um, third-party tokens, which is uh, preventing the old, or I call it old already, because I know that Microsoft is already working on a on a change on that. The old Implicit flow implementation with Adele, which they are using in SPFX. And this was the main show software we had in one scenario and where I was digging into a potential uh, workaround to use MSAL 2.0 JS library in combination with SPFX. And this worked as well, but of course also is uh, some much more implementation which you need instead of using the native uh, SharePoint SPHTTP client or the um, MS Graph client or uh, the AAD HTTP client stuff. Yeah, well, I th what's your thoughts on that? Do you, do you think it's better for developers who are listening to, to 
own this authentication experience or, or, or should they use what Microsoft is, is bringing, giving to us for free? I think uh, <laughs> legal, my legal <laughs> answer is it depends. Yeah, Yeah, of course, of course. So uh, on the one hand, of course, uh, for, for, for future development, uh, I would always prefer to do some native simplification. But uh, for such scenarios, on the one hand, I like to dig in and, uh, behind the scenes even to only understand. So for instance, when you take my blog post, uh, which might not be that valid in half a year or so anymore, when Microsoft uh, rolls out this new implementation stuff, it might be still uh, a good point to understand how MSAL um, works under the hood yeah and this is what i like uh, to dig into from time to time although you do not really need this uh, for your daily uh, from day-to-day -day implementation steps yeah and so you know that kind of brings us back to this you're on this journey from using one technology and having to transition over to another part of the off microsoft 365 service mm -hmm. so, so can you give us just an overview what is it how do you get started doing that is it just jump in and figure it out or did you find some some, some noteworthy training materials or documentation? Um, no, of course, I was uh, from, from the beginning and it was starting, I don't know even when it starts, I think it was starting even in 2014, 15, when I was really uh, starting to heavily following uh, all the PNP work about uh, around uh, whether you won his first uh, webcast around uh, the other, the modern client-side development and also about the PNP provisioning stuff, which I was heavily using in the past and I was also already having some demo uh, here on, on the PNP calls as well. And this was uh, then coming from one step to the other. Then I was starting in, in SharePoint framework development, of course, when this came up and when more and more customer scenarios were uh, concerned about uh, cloud and then Office or SharePoint Online, for instance. Yeah. So uh, when I think that I haven't seen an on-premises environment since three and a half years now. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I think I, I already uh, when I when I got my, my, my in summer 2017, I think I got my uh, first laptop when I rejoined Abanat and uh, I was uh, out of the box, I was installing Hyper-V because I was used to work with uh, local Hyper-V uh, environments. I was installing that once again, but I never used it. Yeah, and then I got some in some network trouble with some network tools, and then I throw it away and uh, never <laughs> used it anymore. Yeah. So uh, to be honest, never seen SPFX working on a or never used a SPFX on a SharePoint 2016 or 2019 farm because I had no scenario for that. <laughs> um, of course, there might be valid ones. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. And and so then, just like the rest of us, was that easy for you to transition to type? I'm guessing if you had done SharePoint on-prem, you had been doing SharePoint stuff, right? So did, did yes. you find any particular struggles or...? or, or... Mm, no, not that much because I think uh, TypeScript is uh, quite easy to transform on the one hand when you are coming from, uh, from .NET development. And on the other hand, we were already... Uh, in the past working on, 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 on JavaScript frameworks in different scenarios. And then we also already started to work with, uh, uh, with closures and, and namespaces and that stuff. Um, so this was uh, a smooth transition. I was more or less missing that kind of stuff, what we were using in JavaScript uh, native stuff. Yeah, but no, I wouldn't say that it was too hard. Yeah. 
Okay, and, and now I've, I noticed th there's a lot of SPFX articles on your blog. Even going further back, there's some, some conversations here about Office add-ins using SPFX. Yeah. Talk just a little bit about what the, the idea around that was. Um, yeah, this was also interesting. Um, I think I touched this. This was a, originally this was a customer scenario uh, two two and a half years back as well, where I was developing an an, an old I once again use the word old and an, a normal uh, web add-in for um, Outlook, and then I uh, received I think one year later, so it was in two thousand nineteen. I uh, got the message that this will be uh, moving to SPFX, and then my idea was even uh, yeah this once this is available. I will use my old scenario, refactor that to SPFX and uh, provide this as the very first demo. This was my goal. Yeah? And then it didn't came out. Yeah. And then they always postponed it. Next version, next version, next version. And what I was doing, I was already implementing all the stuff in the web part. And the only thing what I was missing was really the, the invoke context from an existing mail from Outlook. And this is what I was faking a bit. So I had 80% of my code I had already ready in an SPFX web part. And then I think it was in January this year, 2020, it came finally out and I only had to transform a, a couple of lines of code and then I was ready. I think uh, I already arranged the demo with Visa, I think five or six days after the go live of that SPFX version. I think it was 1.10 if I'm not wrong. So uh, this was the idea behind that, yeah. And and what does the Outlook do? Are you, are you, are you in the component? window or are you, are you some back-end processing? What is it? No, what I'm doing is uh, what you have out of the box uh, is uh, the handling of attachments. So when you have an, a mail, you can out of the box uh, store your attachment uh, to different um, storage scenarios like OneDrive or SharePoint or that stuff. And what my uh, add-in does is that it stores the whole mail to, uh, so it uses the whole mail component uh, item and stores, uh, lets you allow this to store to uh, one OneDrive or um, SharePoint, Teams, uh, whatever, yeah. Um, so, for instance, when you have a, you regularly have approval mails with attachments or so where you really don't, do not only want to store an attachment, but the whole mail with a conversation and, yeah, here, uh, dear Paul, your uh, request is approved, whatever, then you can do it like that way. And that was uh, the scenario. Oh, okay. And so now you mentioned that, that you had a web part. So was it really just a web part code rehosted inside of Outlook or did you find that you had to start differently? Yeah, more or less. I, I had to, I had to reuse the, 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 the outer component more or less. Yeah. So that the, all the, um, the inner React components, which were browsing the target systems and, uh, which were finally stored, the, the controller or service, uh, as you like, which was, uh, storing the mail finally to your target. This was all the same in the web part. So the only thing was, uh, the, the outer component. So in my web part, I was really with a hard coded property and say, Hey, this is my ID of a mail and I will store that somewhere where I detect and Outlook uh, of course uh, that is uh, that one where it says hey you can select a mail and from there you can execute your add-in uh, of course I could already have implemented my mail inbox in a web part but that I didn't do <laughs> <laughs> yeah we have enough inbox troubles already right so, so it seems that your experience in reusing SPFX across different hosts has been mostly positive yeah Mm -hmm. That's also uh, that's, that's that's also an option, yeah. Um, 
now when this first capability was first being talked about I, I i've always wondered does it make sense to have the same web part running in a team and running in sharepoint and running in outlook do you find that you're reusing the same components in multiple places or is it really more the skill set that you use in multiple places but you're building specific things um no i, I think it's a skill set partially i think uh, it depends on the scenario of course yeah because what's the benefit um when you compare you could also uh, host a sharepoint web part in a sharepoint page and put this in a teams tab as an html page yeah uh, but you can also use that web part and refactor that as a teams tab uh, host it that way and the benefit you have of course is that you have the teams context and of course then you have to detect Am I in Teams and then I have to develop that way or am I not in Teams and then I have to develop that way? And so for me, it partially, only partially makes sense. Um, so I think in uh, lots of scenarios, I might reuse my components because I use the same uh, look and feel of an article form or whatever. And then I would reuse this with uh, maybe with copy and paste. Yes, uh, that, that's that's how I'm finding it work as well. So what what's what's next? What, what kind of things do you see working on next uh, in this kind of SPFX time frame? To be honest, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> the life of a consultant, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the life of consultant. Of course, uh, I think you need a life of consultant is always uh, has, uh, is influenced by, by customer scenarios um, and I'm looking forward or not for a real customer scenario right now at this point of time I'm looking forward to my uh, yes vacation uh, in a week yeah? <laughs> and to spend my first uh, family vacation with my young uh, half a year old daughter um, and afterwards uh, let's uh, see what happens uh, I might be either influenced uh, by a customer real life scenario or uh, I might wrap up what is the only thing we already talked about a bit uh, is maybe the only thing what I'm missing from my team's authentication series is maybe a wrap up and a, a small comparison in the different scenarios front and back and SPFX and uh, put this in a small uh, tabular view somehow I've seen this uh, in uh, one of the PNP sessions recently from Bob German because he had uh, something similar in terms of tabs authentication and he really had a good uh, pro con uh, overview and this is maybe what my series is missing still a bit uh, so this might be my next post uh, if I have some spare time or if I still get some spare time yeah well between vacation and a new baby and then we're recording this a week before ignite so <laughs> it really ought to be a be a crazy time yeah. uh, and so you know so we've talked a lot about your blog why don't you get, tell folks uh, what's the location or the address of your blog and and what other kinds of things uh, can they read interact with you any social media um social media oh, yeah I'm, mostly i'm uh, active on twitter okay well i really appreciate you taking a little time today this uh, i i love following the the series and it's been great stuff and uh, look forward to meeting you someday when we can get back in real person yeah this would be great yeah thanks for listening to the microsoft 365 developer podcast Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.M365DevPodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 